if for some reason I switched my travel itinerary around, I, I connected to Greece twice. Um, because I had met a fella, so I went back to Greece for the fella. I was wondering. I was like, you went to Greece <laughs> twice pretty quickly. I was like, she just really likes Greek salad or? <laughs> the Greek food was delicious. However, I will be writing a story about this. It's going to be called Three Planes, Two Fairies, and Still No Man. <laughs> the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 369. With a population density of 1,046 people per square mile, Puerto Rico, if it was a state, would be the second most dense state in the entire U.S. Can you guess what state would be number one? Stick around to the end of the show. I'll let you know. If you've listened to this show before, you know we are very, very particular with what brands we work with as sponsors to this show. In fact, over 369 episodes, we have only ever had two sponsors, Tortuga Backpacks and Bluffworks. You see, we don't even have to just love a product. That is not enough for it to be a sponsor of our show. We have to love a product and we have to have had it change our travel life and also be a product that we know will change your travel life as well. And that is why I'm super excited for our new sponsor, Suave's Shoes. I have been looking for a good pair of travel shoes since I have been traveling, and I have never, ever, ever been able to find one. They're either too clunky and bulky and they take up too much room, or they're minimal, but I don't even I don't like how they look or they don't hold up. I've never been able to find a good pair of travel shoes until now. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to it live, I am currently in Croatia kicking around in my Suave's shoes. I love, love, love the new navy color that they just came out with. And the best part about Suave's I mean, there's a few great things. Not only do they pack up really light, not only are they super breathable, you don't have to wear socks with them, but they are also unisex. So Heather has a pair as well. They look great on guys. They look great on girls. I absolutely love my new Suave's shoes. So if you want to check out what I consider to be hands down the best travel shoe out there and who I am very excited to have as a brand new sponsor of our podcast, you can go to suaves.com. That's S-U-A-V. Vs.com. And, and we've got a little special treat for you. You can use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, and that'll get you 15% off your order. So go check it out now. Fun fact, one of the reasons that I first got interested in Suave's is that I saw on Suave's Instagram that they were packing in a Tortuga backpack. And I thought, Hmm, awesome. Someone over there has some pretty good taste because they're using the exact backpack that I'm using. And it turned me on to Suave's to begin with to say like, hey, they know what they're doing. This is a company that is about travel because they've got a backpack that to me is the best travel backpack out there. So a perfect complement to your pair of Suave's is a Tortuga backpack. My favorite backpack, the backpack that I have with me right now in Croatia that has gone around the world with me and actually to Croatia with me three different times. I mean, I cannot get enough of Croatia. Who who can, really? So if you want the best travel carry-on backpack out there, the one that I use, the one that will save you money on check bags, but still give you enough room to pack a pair of swabs, maybe some bluffworks, this is the best travel backpack. Hands down, Wirecutter said it was the best. I think it's the best. Check it out, tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget to use that promo code EPOP. That will get you 10% off your entire order. One, two, three. 
Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who last year set out to take 12 trips in 12 months, but smashed that goal by taking 20 trips in 12 months. And here's the kicker. She did it all while employed full-time. Jen Ruiz from jenonajetplane.com and author of The Affordable Flight Guide. Jen, thanks for joining me and welcome. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. And I am super excited about chatting with you today because I'm a huge proponent of location independence and I love teaching people to build location independent businesses and all that stuff. But there are a lot of people out there who either can't become location independent or, or don't want to become location independent right now. And I like that you have shown that you can work a quote unquote regular job and you can still see a ton of the world. And you proved this true on your 12 months or 12 trips in 12 months quest. So let's start with that. Tell us how this idea came about and then how you actually took it and ran with it. And then we're like, yeah, 12, that's nothing. I'm going to do 20. (laughs) Um, Well, it definitely wasn't as easy as you make it sound now in retrospect. Um, But I was just, I was approaching 30. I was getting to my 29th birthday and I thought to myself that I really wanted to celebrate in a meaningful way. Um, And for me, that meant travel at the stage of my life that I was in. Um, that was something that brought me a lot of fulfillment and that I really enjoyed, but I hadn't gotten the chance to do much of because I'd always been running from one goal to the next, you know, from being super involved in student government and all the organizations in undergrad to get into law school. And then when I was in law school, I had to work really hard to, you know, excel there and get good grades and pass the bar. And then I started working for a judge. So I was really nonstop on a career path that didn't allow me time to just kind of stop, smell the roses, you know, explore, get, you know, have some fun. Um, But I, I knew at the same time that what I was doing was very worthwhile. And I don't regret at all my studies. I don't regret the career path that I took. You know, I was 21 and in law school already instead of, you know, at a bar, just having fun at undergrad, like a lot of people do. Um, and those, those were sacrifices that I made consciously, but that definitely got me to the point where I was approaching that big decade shift at that final, that moment where you feel like you're leaving kind of the youth of your twenties behind. Um, and I wanted to take the time and do something for me, um, not necessarily career related, not driven to any particular goal, but just something that I enjoyed. Um, Um, Of course, uh, being a lawyer, I was a very type A personality, so I had to go big or go home. You know, I couldn't just do any kind of small potatoes here. Um, So I decided I wanted to take the 12 trips in 12 months challenge that I wanted to take one trip every month while keeping my job. Um, Importantly, I had switched jobs the year prior from a private law firm to a nonprofit organization that generally allowed for more flexibility with my time, had more stable nine to five hours, you know, nobody was there at 1 a.m. making copies at Kinko's, you know, preparing for a trial. Like we really managed to do all of our work within those set business hours. So having that regular schedule, having more flexibility, just regular vacation time. You know, I, I was a lawyer for a long time at private firms where you'd have to be there like on Christmas day. And like, you know, you really wouldn't have any kind of break and it was brutal. Um, so I, once I got to this nonprofit magical Candyland world where people are out of the office by five fifteen, and you know, like, um, they have their weekends. It was just 
I felt like I was given the gift of time um, and I had to take advantage. And that's why I figured that I could squeeze in these trips, um, finding that at that time being based out of South Florida, that I could get a lot of trips really nonstop to a lot of places that saves me time and layovers or things like that. Um, and that I could get somewhere overnight on a Friday, you know, stay Saturday, Sunday, see someplace amazing, and then still be back by Monday morning, sometimes at 5am on Monday morning, and then I have to drive back to work. But, you know, it was worth it. (laughs) Um, And then I just it kind of caught on and the excitement of the pending year built up. And I just decided to just keep going as I built momentum, as I started discovering in the same way that you did, Travis, when you were starting out and you kind of just came across points and miles and how easy it is to travel places. um, That was the epiphany that I had as well. And I just went, you know, full swing ahead thinking I have this deadline, let's do as much as I can. And that's how I reached 20 trips in 12 months. So for you, you wanted to do something for yourself. Why was it travel? Because you said you hadn't gotten to do a ton of it before. Was it always something you wanted to do but didn't have the time? Or was it, I I don't know, you're hitting that age like, I just want to see new things. Did a friend go somewhere cool? Like, What was the thing that spurred on the idea that, hey, it's that I want to go travel, not, oh, I want to go to a spa every weekend and get pampered or something like that? Sure, sure, definitely. There's a big distinction. Travel's more expensive than the spa. <laughs> um, but um, in general, I first. I had gone for two months in law school because I saw that my window for studying abroad in some sort of sense was closing. So I actually went and worked for the Australian Law Reform Commission in Sydney, Australia for two months. Um, And that was an amazing experience because I, for the first time, had been transplanted by myself, just kind of by the way it fell with no one else from the school being accepted to the program and things like that. So I decided to go alone to Australia. So it was my first really big solo trip and I went big. You know, I went all the way across the world. I can't even call people because they're asleep when I'm like up, you know, so it was a full exposure. It was really just dropping me head on into this atmosphere. And I loved it because I I think, you know, around the three week hump, you hit like a lot of homesickness. You just want a hamburger, like you just like things you don't want to hear. Without an egg on it. You want a hamburger (laughs) without an egg on it. Exactly. Um, And so a lot of things, but I think once you get past that slump and then you realize, oh, I can make this work. Oh, there's so many wonderful things here that I wasn't focusing on when I was craving about. And you have to kind of just get over that hump, but then it becomes so lovely. And there's now some of the best friends I made, some really wonderful memories are in Australia. And when I started working, I found very quickly, especially in the legal field, that I didn't have the flexibility to just pick up and go to Australia anymore. Um, It was very tough for me. I would be, I initially worked for a judge for a year. So we'd have cases, you know, and every day it would be very intense. So I'd have, you know, a felony murder trial that I have to go and help like pick juries for, you know, things like that. And it was just nothing that you could really take a break from. And it was all encompassing. And it felt like you were doing very important work. But at the same time, it can get to be very draining. At least that's how I felt about law um, after a few years of doing this kind of nonstop all the time, you know, heavy forward with the law. Um, So I appreciated that travel 
provided me something completely different from that. And it kind of forced you to unplug because you don't always have service. You don't always have internet connection. So you can't be on your phone, you know, making sure you get a response back to your boss within five minutes time. You know, it's really, it's a sickness that we have here with how much we work and we work ourselves to death. And I found that traveling really provided me a a refuge from that, just an escape and something different. And the more that I practice law and the more that I found myself getting in the trenches of it all, the more I craved that release. Um, And so when I finally got to the point where I had the ability to take advantage of that, I just, I went on a mission to see as much as I could. Like you said, I just, it got to the point where I wanted to learn and see more. How did you decide where you wanted to go? Because you said you were a type A. So I'm wondering if when you said, all right, I'm going to do this quest, 12 months, 12 trips, did you have them all planned out like dates, places, this, that, or, or did it somewhat happen organically? A little bit of both. So when I first started, I definitely was very type A and I was making sure that I have the destinations that I wanted to go to. Like I knew no matter what, I wanted to see the lavender fields in France in July in full bloom. Like that was a big bucket list item for me. I wanted to smell the relaxing lavender and just like have a moment, you know? Um, and so that was something that I started planning for months ahead of time because France peak season, it's, it's impossible. So it's really something that I strive to get good prices for. And I ended up flying there for 200 bucks. I think in in July, which was excellent and really worked out, but I had to plan that far ahead of time. And then I had some happy accidents that kind of just came up because a deal would come up or I'd found a really good, you know, flight opportunity like uh, Cuba. I wasn't, it wasn't on my radar, but at the time it was, you know, just reopening to tourism from America. So people were really talking a lot about Cuba. Um, so there was a big buzz around it and I found a flight for, I think 190 round trip on Delta. Um, and that was like an economy plus two. So I was like, I think there's drinks included in this score. (laughs) I'm really going to start relaxing right away. Exactly. Going to make the most of that flight. Um, and so it was, it, it actually ended up being a great trip. I had a great time in Cuba. I went over a long weekend over, um, I believe Labor Day uh, in September that it was just unexpected, but it came up and I, I really loved it. So I had a mix of planning and kind of happy surprises whenever a good deal came up. Can you remember all 20 trips? Like, can you sit there and actually rattle them off for us? This might be tough. I can't. Okay, go for I it. They, they all had so many memories. I can. It's just I might start off and then stumble, but let me, let me just try and run through them. Um, so Greece, Italy, Aruba, um, Greece again, <laughs> um, the Grand Canyon, Mexico, Toronto, France, uh, Iceland, Puerto Rico, uh, Ecuador. Sorry, I'm starting to get slow. They're starting to jumble now as opposed to the one a month into like the two a month. Uh, And I know I'm missing a few. Um, Albuquerque for the hot air balloon fiesta. Uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Austin, Texas. Um, New York City. Uh, I'm missing one. I'm missing. I'm missing more than one. Sorry. And then I think I finished in Cambodia and Thailand. Okay. (laughs) All right. And you France. You went to France. Because yes, you mentioned France. that. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right, so a big mix, but but most actually international and some somewhat far-flung, obviously Cambodia and Thailand maybe being the furthest of those if you're coming from um, southern Florida. So were most of those, like, how, give it, yeah, give us the 
range or average of amount of days because obviously I I'm assuming I'm assuming I could be wrong. you didn't go out to Thailand and Cambodia for for a long weekend but some of those like you said Cuba you did so were they some really short ones and a few longer ones uh, yes. So for Thailand and Cambodia, I waited until the end of the year when I knew that I had, I had thankfully my job instead of giving you like an annual raise at the time would give you a week off either for Christmas or the new year. And my birthday falls on January 3rd. Mine so too. I, oh, Mine too. Get out. Your birthday's January 3rd. Yes. My birthday's January 3rd. We got a birthday buddy here. What a coincidence. <laughs> Look at that. It's a great birthday. I personally am a big fan. Me too. Uh, <laughs> So you can, you know, then you can really kind of partner it up with the holidays to take that extended kind of celebration. And it's good because everybody wants off for Christmas week, right? But I'm like, you can have Christmas week. I want the new year week. Um, and that's what I did. And so I was able to do that. And then combined with the two weekends that bookended it, I took, I think around 10 days in Thailand and Cambodia. So what was your shortest trip then? I would say the shortest trip Maybe even one day, I took a, a day trip up to Orlando for the Epcot Food and Wine Festival uh, that a friend of mine ended up being able to get in um, th- through the, kind of the VIP. So we sat behind like Mario Batali while they were cooking and all of that. Um, and that was excellent. But that was a, a day trip that we took out. So maybe that was the shortest kind of little adventure that I had. Other than that, I would say maybe uh, overnight overnight. So I did Toronto for a weekend. So just one night in Toronto. And that was a a quick trip. And were you typically traveling by yourself? Or were you like, were friends jumping on this? Obviously, probably not the same friend every trip or people like, yeah, I want to go to Toronto too. Let's go for a weekend. Yeah, I want to go to Ecuador or, or something. Let's pop down there. Mostly by myself. And for those reasons, I think the older that we get, unfortunately, it becomes really hard to coordinate getting the same time off, having everybody have the same money to buy the plane ticket at the time that it goes on sale, you know, and me, when you find a good deal, you know, you know, you have to book it right away. I don't have time to wait for you to decide if you're going or not. Like this deal is moving without me. So, (laughs) um, so I would almost always just click and buy that ticket. And if I had to go by myself, which I actually don't mind because I find that you meet a lot of people when you travel by yourself and I'm generally pretty outgoing. So I, I, I'm, I'm at ease with it. And I took it as part of the challenge as well, like to get comfortable in my own skin and to be able to do these challenges on my own. Um, which I think as a, as a young woman, it's, it's something that's very important to feel like it's, it's empowering, um, and that you can do these things and that the world is not off limits to you or that you don't need somebody to accompany you. So that was kind of my own, like, yeah, go girl moment. Um, but, uh, sometimes I had friends, I had a friend, uh, two friends accompany me to Iceland. Actually, thankfully they did because Iceland is an expensive destination. Um, so we got there for 99 bucks and then you couldn't even find a hotel for that price for one night. (laughs) So it was a really cheap flight on wow air, but beyond that, the accommodations there can be very expensive and the food as well. So it was great to have two friends to help split the cost of all of that, the rental car. Um, and we kind of just did our own little exploration around there four days. So we didn't get to drive the full country, unfortunately, but we did like the golden circle and things like that. Um, so it was great. And, uh, yeah, so a, a mix, a mix of days depending. I'm wondering if you kept, cause this would be awesome. Although I wouldn't be organized enough to do this. If you kept a budget of all the trips like broken out and then you said, Oh, this is my most expensive. This was my least expensive. And then this was like my total for all this travel. Do you have an idea of that? 
I have an idea of that when it comes to flights, because I did a lot of tracking of the flight prices that I got, because um, that's what I ended up later kind of going back and, and working into my book about flights. Um, and because people kept asking me, how do you get these places? How do you get these cheap deals? Um, and so I know that some of the cheapest flights that I've gotten have been the ones like you, like, you know, with points, um, which have been really helpful for me. So during that year, I didn't travel that year. But during that year, I bought a ticket to New Zealand for next April that I used points for, and that was 38 bucks, um, you know, and the flight back from Hawaii was thankfully domestic. So I only paid domestic taxes on JetBlue, which was like $5.60. So I only had to pay out of pocket for the flight from Auckland to Hawaii, which was maybe $200. So total, I think I spent about 300 or so dollars on a round trip flight to New Zealand, which was a big score for me. Um, but some of those are the cheapest flights I've gotten, the $5.60 flight you know, from Hawaii to, to Miami. Um, and then some of the more expensive flights that I've paid for, um, maybe the, the peak season one. So I've paid before, you know, like $400 to get back from London if I needed to, if for some reason I switched my travel itinerary around, I, I connected to Greece twice. Um, cause I had met a fella. So I went back to Greece for the fella. I was wondering, I was like, you went to Greece <laughs> twice pretty quickly. I was like, she just really likes Greek salad or the Greek food was delicious. However, I will be writing a story about this. It's going to be called three planes, two ferries and still no man. <laughs> That's a great title. You've got me. I I'm sold. I can I, can I be one of your first readers on that one? Um, I'll be in that beta group. All right. So, so let's talk, let's nerd out a little bit here on, on the flights and on the trips and, and the traveling and the cost of that. So you use points a lot. What is your like go-to? Do you have a certain go-to card or, or a certain go-to point that you love accumulating? At the time when I was starting, I really was weary about credit cards like you, I hadn't had that much experience with credit. I didn't really have as new credit. Um, and I didn't really know much about accumulating miles or anything like that. So I just started off with, I knew I liked JetBlue. I knew that they were a great airline. You know, they have the most legroom and coach. That's like their tagline that sticks with me because people love legroom. Um, they have the little TVs in the back of every screen. They flew out of Fort Lauderdale, Miami a lot, which was accessible to me, even living on the West coast of Florida, you know, two hour drive to me, that was worth it. Um, and so I started off just by opening a credit card with them to kind of, you know, just get my feet wet, see what was happening with this whole points thing. Um, and that worked out really well. I ended up getting the bonus points, obviously, when you open the card, which is the reason why you would open one of these cards is to reap those maximum bonus points. And I did it at a time when JetBlue was expanding their airlines and, the, and their um, availability for routes to the Caribbean. So I was able to luck out with these kind of introductory prices that they were promoting to get more people to take these routes. So that's how I ended up in Aruba. Um, which wasn't necessarily on my radar at first, but then I was able to get there, I think for a total at $70 round trip, um, using just taxes and fees for both the flights there. And, and that was excellent for me. And it was something unexpected. And then I realized, you know, Oh, these things actually work. Like, you know, and I think JetBlue was a good one to get started with because they don't have, they're not big on like blackout dates. You really can use the points. Their point system isn't overly extravagant. You know, it's like 10,000 points or something that you need to redeem it. It's a different point value system than some of the other ones you're not hearing like a hundred thousand points. That's never going to happen. You know, um, it feels a lot more achievable and they do have a lot of really good routes within North America, within the Caribbean. Um, and they're a comfortable airline. So I definitely still to this day have my JetBlue card. I still fly with them whenever possible. I'm actually not sure why I had to pay for baggage for my JetBlue flight tomorrow. Um, so I'm going to check that out. Someone um, get on Twitter, start, start <laughs> tweeting them. 
Twitter is the best customer service resolution. I just had a thing with American Airlines last week or they just wouldn't get my, you know, TSA pre-check number. And I mean, one time I get it, but American Airlines, I've flown with you like four times this last month and you don't got it any time. Like I didn't pay for this pre-check for nothing. Yeah. (laughs) And good luck calling. Like you sit on hold for three hours. I'm like, all right, I can send a note to Twitter and have it taken care of in literally three seconds. It's basically all I use Twitter for, you know, I'm like, I'm just going to deal with people that won't pick up the phone when I call them. All right, here we go. It's exactly it. And that's what happened to me. Exactly. So while I was on the phone, I was like, because the woman insisted, she's like, there's nothing we can do. It can't be changed. The boarding pass has already been issued. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. The Twitter person just responded to me that it has been changed and it's now showing known. Can you verify that for me, please, before I get off the phone? (laughs) It was terrible. But um, so for that reason, I love JetBlue. I usually don't have these issues with them. They're usually pretty thorough. Um, And then after that, I just I kind of did the same thing with Delta. I know Delta gets a bad rep but I actually was able to use my points with them to get from Thailand to Miami, I think for 80 bucks. Um, and that was part of what helped me get to that Asia trip for much more affordable. Now, um, since I quit my job, I'm kind of pulling back on the credit card spending a little bit. Um, I transitioned from law to writing and traveling full time in April. So I still have these cards and I still enjoy them. And I know people highly, um, I would definitely recommend, you know, getting some chase points and things like that. Um, just transferable points in general, which is the difference between the cards that I've been talking about, which are just points for one airline versus some of the other cards like the chase Sapphire line that allows you to have these points that you can use for different purposes. So definitely if you you can get points that give you more flexibility. Great. But I would just always recommend to people that they get points, you know, because miles and, and points that can be redeemed for miles, I'm using them interchangeably, but they're like gold and people are wasting their time with this like 10% cash back, but I could use points and get a flight that's worth like a thousand dollars and it's more than the cash back I would get. So always see if you can get something that you're accumulating and your purchases are getting, you know, you kind of flight credits and you can use that to your benefit because, it's, it's incredible. I've seen people, you never know when you're going to have to travel. I had friends that ended up using points to get to a destination wedding in uh, Thessaloniki, Greece. And I'm not pronouncing that right. You'd think after being there, I'd have better accents, but I don't. <laughs> and they were so worried because they was so expensive and they really wanted to go to that wedding, but they just couldn't swing it. And then they discovered points and they easily meet, met the minimum spending threshold just with their household budget for that month. And they were able to get there and back for very, very cheap, you know, $100 or so just to taxes and fees. So it really is this kind of magic currency that people don't utilize enough because they don't understand it and they think it's overwhelming and they think that there's some catch, right? Like somebody else that would have tried to get the New Zealand flight would have been like, I can't fly to New Zealand round trip. I knew this was like a sucker's game. Like I knew there was something, right? But there's always a way around it. You can always fly from Hawaii and connect to New Zealand. You know, like there's always a way and it's still very valuable to have those. So that's what I recommend people do. Yeah, you're right. I I think a lot of people fall in that camp of either writing off right away because it sounds too good to be true, which I I was one of those for years and years and years until I was like, no, 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 I'm I'm so broke and I want to travel so much and I'm willing to see if it is too good to be true and, and found out like, hey, you can do it or they fall in the camp of, all right, I gave it a shot. I couldn't get availability or, or this airline made it hard on purpose, which which they do, you know, like you can't go on American Airlines and book any of their flights because they don't show it to you because, well, because they don't want to, right? Um, but you have to know a little bit of the tips of the, uh, of the trade there. But yeah, I think that's the other camp. People fall in there like, oh, yeah, it didn't work once. But Jen and I are here telling you like, hey, a little bit of work is going to reap some major, major rewards. What do you have or what do you use then 
for when you are booking stuff and you are paying cash? Like, what are some of the other resources you love to say, all right, we get the miles and points. Sometimes, though, there's not availability or it just doesn't make sense to use them. Yes. What are some of the other, like your favorite websites, favorite resources that you use for, for finding cheaper flights? And that's that's such a good point to bring up because it isn't always the right idea to use points, especially sometimes you'll be using a massive amount of points and then the taxes and fees are almost as much as the ticket itself and people just don't realize that. So don't always waste your points. I wouldn't use points necessarily for holiday travel when they're really inflated. Um, so that's not always the way to go. And now that I've been steering away from it, I have a, a little bit of a method that I use when I'm searching. I Perfect. Start just this is awesome. Type A right here. Let's hear the method. <laughs> So I definitely, I start by getting an idea of what the different pricings are, what the routes are, what's available. So I usually just, my go-to is Google Flights for this um, because it's very user-friendly. It has a lot of options. I can search three different departure airports and three different arrival airports. More than that, I just, you know, like to limit my searches so I can really get it down to a radius rather than just a specific airport to this airport on a specific date. And I can do all of these searches at once, which makes me feel better because I feel like I'm not really letting the airline know what my next move is. Like I might be flying out of Buffalo. I might be flying out of Rochester. You can't hike up the prices because you don't know. (laughs) So that makes me feel a lot better. And I just kind of get a layout to see what is the cheapest route. From there, I'll always confirm whatever cheap route I choose on Skyscanner or Mamondo. Those are kind of like my backup flights where I may find something on Google Flights, but I'll do one of these two outlets and they'll show it to me even cheaper. Um, and I'll be able to buy on there and save, you know, maybe $50 or something like that. Um, I've used different tricks to land that. Sometimes if I'm on a budget airline, I'll search for it in the native currency instead, like buying euros instead of Ameri- um, US dollars. And that's how I managed to get to France for under $200 uh, because I bought it in euros and it was something like 170 euros or something like that um, back at the time. So those are some of my tricks just for getting the layout of the land and, and making sure that I'm getting the best price. But I'm also very flexible. So I'm currently in Miami, but flying into Miami airport would have cost me twice as much as it cost me to actually fly into West Palm Beach. So I flew into West Palm Beach uh, for $90 and it was much more affordable. It was something, I think it was just the plane is emptier. Nobody really not as many people want to go to West Palm Beach as they do to Miami. Sometimes that can work in your favor. Sometimes it doesn't. So if there's not as many people that want to go, then there's less planes and there's less demand. And then the t- price prices go up. I used to live in Naples, Florida, and that was a big problem because they only have like two flights a day to Naples. So it can be expensive to fly to Naples and then you never want to fly out of there. So I, I'm very flexible with where I'm flying in and out of. I can add up to two hours to my trip. To me, it's worth it. Um, and I usually find a way that, you know, I'm very lucky that I have friends, family, things like that, that are very helpful usually in these places. Um, and that helps me find really good deals. If I look for it in points and miles, I can always search for that as well. I try to do as much private browsing as I can though. And I only search for points and miles when I know that it's something where I'll get a good point redemption value, where it's to a really far area where I think points and miles are worthwhile. So I've mentioned, you know, New Zealand, I'm not going to use a hundred thousand points to fly to California. I'm just not, I'm never going to do it. So <laughs> I'm going um, to use my points to fly somewhere that I wouldn't get to, or, you know, that's how I found New Zealand, I was actually just sitting there with a bunch of points and I said, I want to go somewhere fabulous, but I want to go somewhere that I wouldn't be able to reach if I didn't have these points. So New Zealand, Japan, you know, Kenya, those were all really high up on my list because there are places that are not readily accessible already. 
And then lastly, I swear by budget airlines. So I love budget airlines and I will always double check, you know, and not necessarily uh, like Southwest or things like that. Cause I found that are, there are others that are cheaper. The really, the airlines that people are like, Oh, I don't know if I should fly those like, you know, Allegiant frontier, you know, spirit, things like that. I have no shame whatsoever about flying them. These airlines all are newer most of the time. So they have to meet these really strict airline, you know, standards to be able to become uh, an approved airline. And I, I just, you know, there's all statistics about people being more at risk in a car than they are in a plane. So I just go for it. If I find a cheap flight, I'm going to be on that flight. And I've flown Wow Air to Iceland for 99 bucks. I've flown um, Norwegian, like I said, to France for 200 bucks. I've flown Ryanair in and around Europe for, and everybody hates, all the European people hate Ryanair. I, I know, it and was- they hate they hate Ryanair a lot more than EasyJet, which and they're like it's the same thing, but like Ryanair just gets like the scur- is like the scourge of Europe, and then EasyJet, which is just as crappy, and, and neither <laughs> of them are really that crappy. I I'm fine with them, but like kind of gets off scot free. I've never understood that. I think maybe Ryanair was first, and like kind of took all the flack for oh you have to pay for bags, oh you have to pay for seats. You know, they had that thing where they were essentially saying they were going to make people like make a did you hear that uh they were gonna have a ticket where people could stand up on the plane but then like obviously that got scrapped because that was not gonna work but yeah ryanair gets a lot of flack but they were just the first ones to the market so it's kind of opened it up for everyone else which is i'm happy about i i was just on a plane with a person from uh, London and she, and I think her boyfriend from Ireland was like, it's Ryanair's job to make somebody cry before they get on the plane. <laughs> like, they really cannot stand them. I, for one, if I'm paying, you know, $10 for a flight, essentially between countries, like that's just so unheard of for us in the U S that I'm just like, who cares? Make me cry Ryanair. I'll get there, you know, with a good, you know, fresh I'll be all refreshed from the good cry. It is. It's crazy. You hear people complaining and they're sitting like, I can't believe they made me pay for water or check or pay for a check bag. And I'm like, well, how much did you pay for your ticket? They're like, oh, five pounds. You're like, you just paid five pounds to get on a tube that's going to fly you across a continent. And you're complaining that they charge you three bucks for a water. Like, bring your own water. Yeah, I... I'm a again, as you can tell, huge fan of budget airlines. And I think that it's a travesty that more people don't use them because they... They either don't know about them, which, which you know, hopefully us talking about it brings it more to the forefront. Or, yeah, they hear these horror stories, but a lot of times it's just people going in with bad expectations or the wrong expectations. Like, if you know you've got a five-pound ticket and then it might be 20 pounds for your bag, well, either don't bring a bag or say, hey, my ticket's costing me 25 pounds, you know, um, or, you know, dollars, whatever we want to say, whatever, whatever currency we're using. So I'm with you. Budget Airlines... I've flown ones that I don't even didn't even know existed until the day I got on the flight, like Smart Wings. If anyone's in Prague, Smart Wings flies all over Europe now. Yeah, so I'm with you. Budget Airlines, man, they're, they're great, and I and they're only becoming more popular, and they're only starting to push in the U.S., which is pretty neat as well. Like with you mentioned, Wow Air and and Norwegian getting you across the pond to Europe, which you can find stuff for under a hundred dollars to go to Europe one way, which is unheard of. And it used to be only the East Coast, but now they're expanding to California. Like West Coast flights are going. It's it's amazing. It's really opening up the world for people. Yeah, I I'm with you. It's so it's awesome. Get on get on budget airlines. Give it a try for <laughs> yourself. And here's a tip that I have for budget airlines. If, if I don't know if you do this or not, Jenny, you can let me know. People are like, well, how do I find out about them? You know, you just know a few, and we rattled off a few off the top of our heads, but. When I'm in an area that I don't know what airlines fly in and out, I just go to the Wikipedia page of that airport and it shows all the airlines that fly in and out. And if 
you know, like Wizz Air. I didn't know Wizz Air was a Hungarian airline until I was in Budapest. And then we got like $100 tickets to London from there. So yeah, go to the Wikipedia page and just check all the airlines that fly out and uh, go to their website and see what see what kind of tickets they have. That is absolutely what I do. I actually went to Wikipedia and compiled them all into a master list and organized them by country. If you want, I can send it to you and you can link it to the show's episodes. Just yes, of course. Um, yeah. I mean, you just did all the hardware. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Let's do that. We'll put that in the show notes, guys. I wanted to know because you had such... Now it's a little different because could you quit your job and now you're a little more free-flowing when it comes to your travel. But when, we, when you were traveling and working, did you ever get burnt out on the travel like was there ever a time where you came home and it was like let's say you flew in monday morning you had to go to work that day and you thought eh, like this isn't worth it like that trip just took so much out of me that i wish i had stayed home for the weekend absolutely um, you know, in the same way you hit kind of that homesickness slump, um, halfway throughout the year, I hit the slump where I was like, who am I even doing this for? Like, who am I trying to impress? This is ridiculous. This is supposed to be fun. And, you know, I'm stressed out. You know, I, I, I really did get to be a lot, but at the same time, every time I would be at these places, I would kind of be doing a happy dance thinking, this is my life. This is my life. <laughs> so it balanced itself out. It was a lot of highs and lows. Um, but yeah, coming back from Mexico, go in that June trip, um, where I had some disasters that I'll save for later. Um, so that was a rough trip for me. And coming back, I really thought to myself, like, is this even worth doing? Is this worth continuing with, you know, I'm spending money. I'm, I'm, it's being hard for me. I feel like I, I had to pull in a lot of favors for coworkers to step in and, you know, take care of clients or things like that. Um, I had to really be careful with my scheduling. It was just a lot of kind of walking on eggshells a little bit while I was there. And it made, it was hundred percent, hundred and twenty percent worth it. Now in retrospect, I would do it all over again. It changed my life completely. And I did love my job. I was working at a nonprofit. I was helping people that couldn't afford legal counsel. So I was doing like feel good lawyer work, which is so hard to find. Um, so I, I felt good about it, but at the same time it was draining and I felt like I was being pulled in all different directions and you know how sometimes you have like dead time at work and, and you kind of like your mind can drift and you can do other things like I never had that because I always had a million things I have to do like I always have these things I have to plan and I have like you know this person waiting so I felt all the time really overwhelmed um with everything that was happening and was wondering you know like is, is this something that I really want to pursue but um thankfully right after that disaster Mexico trip um I um was able to go to France then and then that was everything I had dreamed for you know I'd been waiting for it for months it was you know, the pinnacle of my trip, my bucket list, so to speak, because I had made this dream that I'd always thought I'd actually manifested it and made it come true. And I was here breathing the lavender and just seeing the sunflowers and following the uh, Van Gogh trail throughout Arles. So I was able to see all the places that he painted in real life, which for me, like these are the kind of things I do to entertain myself because I'm a total nerd, but I'm like, I'm going to rent a car and I'm going to drive around the South of France and I'm going to follow the places that he painted. And then I'm going to see them in real life. And then I'm going to take pictures. And <laughs> And I had the best time ever. I did all of this while singing to the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack. Uh, so it was really just the definition of me living my best life um, and was so worthwhile. Um, and so things like that, experiences like that, moments like that were what got me through the year where it really was a lot of balancing my professional responsibilities with my work obligation, you know, with my personal life and my kind of obligations with the trip planning and making sure that I had things that were being written about. I was blogging, so I was trying to get a lot of sponsorships to help fund this because 
money was, was tight. I was at a nonprofit. You know, I mentioned my clients didn't have money to pay. So <laughs> which usually means a lot, a lot of money comes to you if there is zero to pay. Yeah. Exactly. So I just was on, you know, a very basic nonprofit attorney salary, which may do and paid the bills, but definitely wasn't going to be paying for all these trips, even, you know, with the cheap flights and things like that. Expenses add up. So I taught English online every morning before work for a couple hours before I went into work. I still teach English now. Um, and it's something that just gives me flexibility and extra income. So I have a little bit of a cushion. I don't panic month to month. Um, and it's been really great for me and, you know, moving over to remote work. But it was something that I did before work because I could do it for from like 6 a.m. to like 8.30 a.m. and then rush and get ready for work and then run to work. So I did that every single day, Sundays included. Um, I was doing it, you know, really early, sometimes like at 2 a.m. and I got so burnt out. I was like, I can't do this. Apparently humans need sleep <laughs> warning like about, about to failure. So um, I had to learn my own limits and, and see that and, and kind of have, you know, the ability to draw lines for myself where I said, I'm not going to do a class before 6am. You know, I'm, I'm going to try and take certain breaks. When I come back, I'm going to try and do some, some, you know, self-care things to get me back. I, I would sleep sometimes all Saturday after I would teach classes. Like I would teach until like 10 a.m. And then I would just sleep for like eight hours of a coma just to catch up on that sleep debt. Um, so it was rough, but it was still, like I said, it was rough, but it was once in a lifetime. It really changed the course of what I was doing. Cause I just, I, I like, I loved my job. I thought it was very rewarding, but it, it was draining. It took a lot out of me. You have to fight people every day when you're an attorney and as a nonprofit attorney, you're not always on the winning side and sometimes your hands are tied. So even if I managed to save a person's house, you know, they, I, they'd still get stuck with an $11,000 bill from the HOA, 10,000 of which are an attorney's fees. So I didn't even really like my own people. I was like, attorneys, you're like bad people. You're charging all this money through all my poor clients. Like I just, it was a lot of resentment and a lot of fighting and a lot of bad emotions. And I just didn't want to pursue that. I, I still really value being a lawyer. I love that I can keep up in conversations and I have these credentials that make people look at me not as a 16 year old girl, you know, which is what I probably look like without makeup. Um, but, and, and nobody takes you seriously, but then you tell people that you're an attorney and it gives you automatic street cred. So I love being an attorney. I may still one day find a cause when I'm traveling that really speaks to me and I can open up my own nonprofit. I have the know-how to do that. I have the credentials. I practiced law for five years. It's something that no one can ever take away from me. I passed two bar exams. Like, you know, I've been through hell. So, <laughs> um, a few disasters in Mexico aren't <laughs> going to stand up to those bar exams, right? Exactly. No, people, the bar exam is so serious. Like it's, it's one of the few exams where like I literally, I had friends that took the exam in Virginia and they had, you know, they were sitting there typing and there was a guy, I guess, I don't know what happened to him, but he had like an aneurysm or something and started convulsing and bleeding from the ears and no one moved to help him because we're taking the bar exam. So you really picked a poor time to die, sir. Uh -huh. um, and the craziest part is that that guy came back the next day with stitches because he like fell and hit his head ready to finish that exam. <laughs> Lawyers are crazy. You guys are crazy. I'm, I'm glad you've become a traveler now. You've moved to the other side. Uh, we're, we're much saner, I think. Uh, or, or maybe not. I don't know. That's for everyone else to decide. So when you were doing this traveling, because it, it sounds tiring to me, everything you were talking about. I love that you drew the line in the sand of 6 a.m. Like, not before 6 a.m. For me, I'm like, oh my gosh, 6 a.m. I barely ever see 6 a.m., thankfully. Um, what when you were traveling, though, it was a lot of quick trips. So did you come up with a bit of a system or something 
to maximize that? Because you mentioned you were in Toronto for one day. You're in Cuba for a long weekend. So you're going to these cool places. And obviously, you'd probably rather stay longer and take it slower. Sure, but you can't. And, and this is the same for a lot of people with regular jobs. Maybe they have two weeks and they're going to five countries. Or again, they're taking long weekend trips. What did you do to get it all in, but also enjoy yourself and not like run yourself too ragged or maybe that is what you did but what what would you say like is the best way to travel fast but have the experiences that you want to have planning so i know people are like you have to go with the flow that's part of the magic and yeah totally but when you have two days like you said you don't always have the ability to go for two weeks sometimes you have what it is and i'd rather see a location and have been there and have at least tried it than have thought i'm going to wait until i have more time and then you don't know if you're ever going to get that opportunity so i take advantage of the opportunity when it's presented and i make the most of my time by planning like a crazy person ahead of time when i know that i'm on that type of time crunch so if i know i have two days you will not catch me at any point in time during those two days wondering where i'm going to eat Wondering how I'm going to walk to this place. Checking out if this place has open admission. Please. Those are some rookie mistakes. Before I go, I have checked and seen what time does this open? How can I fit in all the puzzle pieces of my itinerary, right? So if I know I want to go and see this museum and I want to go see this ancient site, you know, I need to make sure that I fit in all those hours and my transportation time to, you know, accommodate all those things. And even better, if I already have my tickets beforehand, guarantee me admission, like at the time that I get there. So especially in Europe, because some of these places are really hard. The lines get so long for these museums. It's insane. So like, you know, the, um, the last supper by Da Vinci, I had my tickets way ahead of time. Um, you know, the Michelangelo's David tickets way ahead of time. I love me some art. So I'm not going to go that far and miss out on Michelangelo's David, you know, like I'm going to see it and I'm not waiting three hours in line to see it. I'm going to have my little fast pass for my time slot. I'm going to get there at 919 for my 920 entrance and I'm going to walk right in. And that's how I do things. And I really enjoy it that way. And I've had friends who at first, when they came along on the two or three trips that were like, oh my God, this is kind of like intense. Like, are you going to schedule time for us to use the restroom too? And I was like, yes, yes, I am. Um, Once a day, once a day when we're out. And then as many times as you want during the night, because we're, we're sleeping. Exactly. Never during the car ride. We don't have time for those things. <laughs> you have to go before we get in the car. But um, and so at first they were like, this is intense. But by the end of it, they were like, we saw so much like that was the best itinerary. Like and I, you know, I also try to schedule it so I'm not overwhelmed. So I scheduled downtime. I'm like, you know, this is the time where we have to rest from between this activity to dinner. You know, you have the time to change and get ready. 555 so not- to 6 p.m. You have the time exactly. to rest. Yeah. Yes. Well, I would say at least a 20 minute rest, you know, after walking all day, you want to put your feet up, take a moment. And so I definitely schedule that, but only, and I know that sounds kind of neurotic and crazy. I haven't even gotten to the part where I already outlined to what time the train is coming and what subway station it's at and like where we're walking. So we know our route. So when we exit the building, we turn right. And then like, you know, like we're not sitting there being like, Hey, sir, where's the subway? No, no. We're walking with purpose. We're not looking lost. We don't look like tourists. We have a plan. So I got all this settled ahead of time, you know, subway cards. You get to the subway, you're like, oh, how do I pay for the subway? Do I have to make the line? Do I have to talk to a representative? Do I have to, you know, go to the ticket? I've researched all that already. I probably have my subway tickets. I know the time that they're going. Like, you know, it's just, and it helps 
to be that organized because you can really get a lot in and you don't have to worry about figuring things out when you're already in a foreign atmosphere, when you're stressed, when you're time crunched. So I know it sounds kind of crazy. I know it sounds neurotic, but that's also one of my tips for solo travelers, especially when you're nervous about where you're going and being by yourself. It is even more nerve wracking if you feel like you're dropped in a foreign environment. But if you're a crazy person and you've already done like a Google street map search of the place that you're going to be, you're going to be like, oh, I recognize that from the picture, the satellite picture. Like that's that little store in the corner. I'm in the right spot. And it helps. It gives you peace of mind. Um, And for some people, that's not the way to travel. I definitely advocate, you know, not planning when you have the ability to be somewhere for longer and you just have five or so things that you want to see in the course of a week. Awesome. Take it easy. See where life takes you. Have adventures. But if you have a limited time and you paid money to go somewhere, don't go somewhere and miss out on the key things you want to see. I had friends that went to the Parthenon and didn't realize it closes at three sometimes on, on winter hours and they missed the Parthenon. You went all the way there and you didn't see the biggest thing there was to see. That's never going to be, I never will have that problem because I would research really far ahead of time. And I think that that's something that's not, it's not a special skill. Anybody can do it. Everybody knows how to Google and anybody can have that kind of ease of being their own travel planner. They just have to put in the elbow grease beforehand. I think we should have a YouTube reality show where we travel together because that would make for some high comedy. I'd be like walking out of the train station, looking around where I don't know which way to turn, which exit do I come out of? And you'd probably be like four blocks down the road. I probably would have stopped for gelato already. You'd be like, no, not that, not that gelato shop. That's not the one. Rated one, Trump, you're messing up. I, it would be it would be funny. Although, I mean, it could end in bloodshed. You'd probably kill me by the end of episode one. Um, but it, it, it would be funny while it lasted. Um, and I, but I am with you. Like, especially, you know, for me, it's a little different. And, and I've certainly become more planned the, the more I've traveled because I've seen the a little bit of the error of the ways to be to being totally disorganized. Um, obviously, I, I still don't know where to turn. Like I never know coming out of a subway what exit to go out of, and I just go out of one and look around, and you know, then walk a block and be like, oh, I went the wrong way. But I, it is especially if you're on this time crunch and you have two three days. Now, how has it changed now that you you've quit your job? and you're able to travel longer, like, A, is that something that you want to do? Do you want to travel like, and stay longer in a place? And have you done it yet? And have you no- been able to pull back a little bit on the, uh, on the neurotic or neurosis, whatever it is, uh, neuroses of uh, being like, boom, 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 I know everything. Has that been hard for you? A little bit, yes. But um, I did. I did three weeks in actually... Eastern Europe um, for a conference in the summer, which was rough too, because it was right as they had this massive heat wave in the summer and Eastern Europe is not used to it. So they don't have air conditioning and they don't have fans. They essentially don't have any ventilation and you're at the top floor of a hotel, AKA the oven that has been sitting there like roasting all day for you to sleep. And then like open the window and the mosquitoes come in. It was just really, really rough for me. And then that was my first you know, time since I quit though. I went extended long-term. I had gone to Vegas for about a week beforehand. I love Vegas. I love, you know, hiking around Vegas. It's one of my favorite places. So I felt really at ease there, but this was my first kind of time stepping out of the box, you know, after I quit. And I was like, maybe this was a horrible mistake. <laughs> like, 
what have I done? Oh my goodness. I have turned my life upside down and I don't want to be in the Czech Republic for three weeks in the middle of a heat wave. This is miserable. I want to be home with air conditioning in my nice apartment in Naples. Um, so definitely had a moment, definitely had a crisis moment, but, um, <laughs> but I survived. Um, and I've actually, I've been traveling since then. I did a little bit more domestic travel coming back from that. That heat wave was really brutal. It scarred me a little bit. I had like a standing fan that I bought at this like Walmart version of like the Czech Republic, like Walmart at like 2 a.m. that I had forced the, you know, people that were helping us to go and take me somewhere. I was like, I need a fan. I cannot sleep. <laughs> and it was, I, I took that fan with me everywhere. He was called Finn the Fan. He sat with me on the shuttle bus, like literally everywhere. Like he was like my partner. Um, and it was intense. So at first I really, I was worried as, as could long-term travel be something that I do after having been so conditioned to doing these short trips? Maybe the magic was in that it, it was short. Maybe it was better for me because I knew it was ending so quick. So I had, I felt compelled to, you know, get more out of it. Now, recently I'm coming off another three week travel. I mixed it up a notch. So not necessarily in one destination. So I went for about a week to Belize and different places in Belize. So I was in San Pedro. I was in, you know, uh, Kay Cocker. I was in different places. And then from there I went to Mexico. I did it all on my own schedule, the way I like to travel, renting, you know, my own things, figuring out everything. And I have had the best time. I definitely had a couple of days in Belize. Belize forces you. There's no way you can go to Belize and have a schedule. Like good luck. Okay. Um, because <laughs> they just don't abide by that. They don't live by that mentality. I was at the chicken drop. I won a hundred dollars from chicken poop. So you gamble and you wait to see, they drop the chicken and if the chicken poops on your number, you win money. I won a hundred bucks on the first chicken drop, but the chicken drop was supposed to start at like 8, 8, 8 PM. And it was like 9 PM and it hadn't started. And they're like, we're going to start soon. You know, <laughs> like, it's like one day. Um, and it was just, I, and I was able to go with the flow there. You know, I was like, Oh, what do I want to do today? And maybe I'll just stroll. So I really loved unwinding in a place like that, where I felt really comfortable. Um, I'm at ease in an island setting up from Puerto Rico originally. I speak Spanish, even though Belize speaks English primarily, but there were a lot of people there that spoke Spanish as well. Um, so I just, I felt at ease, same thing in Mexico. And, and that now these last three weeks have really reminded me now I'm in Miami kind of finishing up. It's been about a month or so since I've been home. Um, and I'm going to go home for about two weeks and then I'm off to Asia for about two months. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to hop around there as well and, and see what I can find. And I think that's the key for me. So new cities while you're traveling keeps it fresh. But also being in a city long enough that I have the ability to stroll, to meet new people, to try new things. I think a week is a sweet spot for me at a new city, uh, maybe two if I really like a place. But then I kind of want to see what else there is because there's so much in the world to see. Um, and even in a country that you keep returning to, I keep returning to Italy. And I still haven't seen all of Italy, you know, and there's so many places I still want to go. And I've been there at least three, four times. Um, so I think there's always something new to see. And for me, that keeps it fresh, keeps it exciting, keeps you kind of with that flow where you have this endorphins from being on the move. And that, that's what I, I thrive off of. Yeah, that is where we're very similar is I always want to travel slower in my head. Like I'm like, oh yeah, go here, rent a place for a month, bunk down, get work done. And then it's, but it's never happened that way. Like the one time we rented an apartment for three weeks in Croatia, it was like one week in the apartment. Then we went one week somewhere else and left that apartment. And then we had friends come and see us the next week and we went off. So it's like, I, I'm with you that it's, in theory, it's nice, and a lot of people like slow travel. And I and I think I'll start doing it more. Although I keep saying that, and it hasn't happened, so maybe maybe it never will. But I am with you that it it there's so much, and when I get in a new place, 
I, I just look at a map. I'm like, oh, I, I guess I knew this was around here, but I didn't realize I could get there in three or four or five hours. All right, I'm going to get on a car. All right, I'm going to hop on a train I, because I, I've already seen this. Like, I've been here three days. Yeah, I could un- uncover some more stuff, but this is brand new. So that's where we're very similar to that. Like, kind of want to keep moving, kind of want to see so much, kind of feel like maybe time is slipping by, even though, you know, hopefully we have a long time to keep traveling. Um but I'm with you. I'm with you. What about saving money when traveling? We talked about flights a lot. What do you do on the ground? Do you have some tips that, or, or some things that you do that always, you know, maybe a, a, a non-seasoned traveler wouldn't know or maybe you made mistakes when you were first starting that now you're like, oh, I always do this kind of stuff. It's always saving me money. I usually take public transportation in big cities. I know I've mentioned the subway a lot and it's something that I think people are intimidated by. They're like, oh, I don't know. I can't read that language. It doesn't matter. I just match up whatever these letters are to whatever the letters say on the stop. Like it's not rocket science. It's meant to be used by the public. Like it's maps, it's diagrams. You can figure it out. So I use public transportation pretty confidently. Um, I research it ahead of time. I'll get a route. And that's something that I think can save you so much money, especially if you can find a way to get it in from the airport, because they will get you at the airport. That's where you are at your most vulnerable. It's when you've just gotten there. And that's when they try and charge you like a hundred dollars just to get somewhere. And it's like, ah, you've blown all your cash, you know, and you haven't even gotten to your hotel yet. So it can be really rough. I'd also be careful with some like airport scams. I, I think I've gotten scammed before, um, like with people kind of giving me back the wrong chance things like that by taxi drivers. So you really want to be wary of that. It helps to have exact change, I think, always whenever possible. So I try to break up the big bills as soon as I can. And that helps me a lot with some of these local things where you can only pay cash. I always take out cash at the airport. Um, I don't I don't switch my cash over. Um, I don't really come with very much American cash, you know, maybe some backup like 20, 40 bucks, but really I'm going to take out the majority of my money in that currency. And I'm going to do so straight from the ATM to avoid the transfer fees. I don't want to pay for the middleman. The ATM will just convert it to whatever it is and then charge me the fee. If I have a fee, you know, I may not even have a fee. So, um, I know my bank doesn't charge me the fee to come out. So it's just whatever the ATM fee is. Um, and then it's just the easiest way you can get money out. And you're almost guaranteed to have a working ATM at the airport. Like even in Cuba, they have an ATM at the airport, like, but they do not have an ATM in all other places. I spent hours walking around Buenos Aires looking for cash and none of the ATMs worked. You didn't have a map of all the ATMs that worked in Buenos Aires. What was wrong? (laughs) I did, and there was supposed to be an ATM right across the street. However, the, apparently, Buenos Aires did not get the memo that I had planned for this. And so they just had all their ATMs were down. Apparently, the ATMs go down there, and then, like, there's riots, and people go calling them ladrones, like thieves and stuff like that. Like, it's crazy in Buenos Aires. Great trip, though. Totally recommend it. But, um, just but bring it your own just- cash. Yes, come with cash because I missed out on a street fair and the street fair was cash only and I didn't get to like really go and buy a lot of these really cool items that I was looking at. Like I was upset that I wanted to spend money and Buenos Aires wouldn't take it. So <laughs> so um, those are some things that I've learned the hard way. Um I try to steer away from like touristy restaurants or places that will charge you, you know, sixty bucks. Uh, I was just in New Orleans as a domestic destination, but the difference between a place that a local guide had recommended us and a place literally right next door was $12 for jambalaya or $40 for jambalaya. And I bet you that the local jambalaya was actually better tasting than the $40 one. Um, so Where I was to- that place? For anyone listening wants jambalaya in New Orleans, do you remember the name? I want to say Cooper's. I think it's Cooper's. Okay. I I, Cooper's. It sounds familiar. 
Okay. It was it was a local spot, though. It was recommended to us by uh, the guide. We had just done a, a hunted, hunted walking tour. New Orleans was so phenomenal. Um, I had the best time there. But yeah, I try to save money, try to do, but reliable street food, right? I also don't go crazy eating like kind of crazy street food that could potentially give me digestive problems because then I'm sick the next day and that's miserable. So I try to look at for street food places that have like a line of people. Everybody's eating there. Everybody looks healthy. That's good. That's a good sign. Um, you know, I try to look at how the meats are maintained, things like that. Um, but usually street food is a great way to, to save money and, and get some really delicious cuisine. I have a friend right now who's in Singapore getting like $3 Michelin star street food, like ridiculous. Um, so I would love to do that. And that's, that's high on my list. I always kind of try to save money on, on those things. I eat breakfast. That's a big thing. And I, that's something you can get for cheap almost anywhere. Um, so I don't usually skip out on that. Those are some good some, some of my favorite money-saving tips. Yeah, Singapore. Talk about the disparity between super expensive or super cheap. Yeah, you go to like the street hawker stalls and malls and you get stuff that is fantastic for t- dollars or, or less. And then, of course, like right next door is a huge hotel and their restaurant costs more than I would. Like I would have a heart attack even if I walked in the front door, I'm sure. I like look at the menu like, Okay, not going in here, you know, you're not the and they certainly probably don't want me there. Um, so yeah, that's a destination. And and I think that's a good point. Like, obviously, the food, some people, a lot of us like to travel for the purpose of eating and, and, and getting good food. And it can be done on a high budget. You know, some people think they have to spend a lot to get good food. You know, A, you don't have to, and B, sometimes the better food is going to be the cheaper food if if you can get local recommendations and things like that. What about your biggest travel mishap? I mean, the ATM in Buenos Aires sounds pretty bad uh, for someone as planned out as you, but I'm sure there's been mishaps that are even worse than that. That was rough because I had to walk in between all the blocks and they have like the longest blocks of life in Buenos Aires. I was walking for hours, Travis, and no cash to show for it. So, but no, uh, my biggest, I think Mexico was rough. Like I said, it was kind of that moment that made me question it all. Um, and so it started off innocently enough. I was minding my business. I'm in Isla Mujeres. I rent a golf cart. I'm just strolling around the island, enjoying the views. And then I guess unbeknownst to me, I had no idea for the record, um, I apparently the key can operate more than one golf cart. I didn't realize that. I think I have a key. It's for my golf cart. I mean, the key works. I turn on the golf cart. I'm driving it away. This is my golf cart. It's where I left it approximately. I don't know. I don't keep track of the golf cart that closely. And so I return and then it turns out this is not my golf cart. So now I'm being accused of stealing a golf cart. They're saying they want to hold on to my license, that they're not going to give me my license back until I return the golf cart. I'm like, I have returned with a golf cart. (laughs) You know? Like I have done my part in this. And then, um, like on top of that, at the end of that, all of that, I had ended up, I had gone back to, I finally fought with a lady. I got my license back. They're going to have to recover the golf cart some other way, but I gave you a golf cart back and I want my fair trade in exchange. And then like, I'm ready to just go back to the hotel. Like, take my scheduled breather. (laughs) You're already behind schedule because you had to, you had to convince them that they should take this golf cart. Exactly. And then I get to like the the place to board the the ferry and I'm like, I'm looking for my ticket because I had already pre-bought the ticket, of course. And I'm just looking to take it out and getting ready to go. And I'm like taking my stuff out and I'm like, I don't see my wallet. And so I'm just sitting here now at this point, 
when I'm in the tropics, I mentioned I'm from Puerto Rico. So when I'm in the tropic, my, my hair goes back to its natural state, um, which is like kind of a very frizzy, curly look, especially when I'm stressed out and like sweating in the sun. So now at this point, my hair looks like I'm homeless. And I'm sitting there at the side of the road, stressed out, taking things in and out of like my little Barney bag foldable backpack. Like, you know, like <laughs> it looks rough. And I'm just, I'm not processing that it's not there because it's been too much of a shock in a short period of time. As, you know, I have maybe one or two margaritas at this point. So I'm coming down hard from this happy time. And I'm like, and so I'm just, you know, it's got to be in here. Let's just take it one. Let's put everything back in the bag and take everything back out again, just one by one until we find what I'm missing. And no, I did this about five times. I must have looked insane just sitting there on the side of the road like a crazy person putting things in and out of my bag. Um, people actually came by and donated some money to me because I looked in distress um and i was at the point where i couldn't find my wallet at all so i was definitely like i need the money to get back on the ferry (laughs) yeah you're sitting Um, there i'm not gonna tell them this is working i maybe i'll get on the ferry (laughs) this way i couldn't even think straight i was just like why is this disaster happening why does mexico hate me and um and i just eventually i got enough people actually were very helpful i think you know i'm very grateful for people for them and and their help and i these people actually saw me and I looked in distress, but there were also people that didn't see me that found my wallet and were able to contact me with the information I had in my wallet. And they reached out to me and returned my wallet to me with everything still in it the next day. So cash and everything, they took a ferry from Islam Mujeres to Cancun to get to me to return my stuff to me. So people are good people. It's not just because I'm a girl, um, but, um, but people are really nice and they will want to help you. Nobody wants you to have a bad time in their country. Nobody wants you to you know, speak badly about their country when you leave. People want you to enjoy your time there for the most part, except for the golf cart people. They hated me. But um, for the most part, people want you to be happy and they want you to enjoy. So I'm very grateful to the people that have helped me out along the way in those kind of dark moments where I'm by the side of the road emptying my belongings, you know, repeatedly like a psycho person, um, not finding what I'm looking for and just having that hard crash of being like, crap, my credit cards, my license, like everything. Thankfully, I have my passport. So worst case scenario, I could still go home. But like, but like I'm going to have to pay for the taxi to get home. I think the rental car keys I had lost as well because they were there and I had the rental car keys. I actually didn't get those back and I had to pay like $200 more than the rental car itself for the keys. That was my disaster Mexico trip. Well, I the big lesson that I took from that is that even organized people can lo- lose their wallet. Because if people have listened to this podcast before, they know that I am very uh, famous, infamous maybe, uh, for losing my wallet. And I always <laughs> chalked it up to the fact that I was disorganized. But here we have someone who might be the most organized person I've ever had on the podcast. And she too <laughs> lost her wallet. So there you go. Maybe it's just a birthday thing. Maybe it's just us early January birthdays. You can't hold on to our wallet. Um, but you made it out. And, and I'm sure the margaritas had nothing to do with you taking the wrong golf court either. Because you, you kind of skipped over that. You said, oh, there's a few margaritas in. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that had to do with you taking the wrong golf cart. There was no distinguishing feature. I put the key in the thing and it worked. It was just the two margaritas. You have the two drink minimum, you know? That's when I travel by myself, I have a two drink minimum. There you go. Well, and now we know how to steal golf carts. We just have to find a key and we could go take any golf cart we want. So now we can actually take them on purpose, uh, which is pretty cool. Maybe this little YouTube uh, series that we're going to have, it gets better and better, right? We're going to have challenges in here as well. Um, what do you have coming up in the pipeline? Because now you said you're, you're free and clear of the job and you're blogging 
and you're doing videos and stuff like that. What do you have coming up that you're going to be doing on your site? And what also do you have coming up for travel? You kind of mentioned Asia. Do you have specific spots that you're ready to hit? I'm, I mean, I'm sure you do. I don't even know why I asked that because I'm sure you do. <laughs> Yes, uh, to both. So first, I just finished a TED Talk in the beginning of November, um, which I'm very excited about. It's about the power of flying solo. That should be out um, sometime around end of January or so. They're editing the video. Um, so that's in the works. And I'd really love to kind of help inspire people that are nervous about traveling by themselves or maybe approaching a milestone birthday and wanting to achieve, you know, something, a, a big personal goal. Um, I'm also going to be traveling for a few weeks now. I leave New Year's, the day before New Year's Eve, usually you can get really cheap tickets actually if you fly like people want to be at their destination on new year's eve so if you're are on the plane then you're going to be paying less than you know the people that want to get there before then so that's my secret for flying around our birthday time i fly during all the good times um so i'll be spending midnight on a plane to hong kong um i fly into hong kong because i got that flight for 300 dollars. but from there i'm connecting to bali um where i'll be for two weeks i booked an apartment for two weeks and you got me nervous now because i said two whole weeks two whole weeks what am i gonna do <laughs> oh, you'll be in Bali. There'll be plenty to do. Maybe even you'll be able to relax on the beach a bit in Bali. So you'll be fine. I hope so. Oh, I hope so. Um, it's going to be my birthday trip to myself. And then uh, from there, I have a couple of things I definitely like to hit up. I want to go to Vietnam because for my lady listeners here, um, they will tailor, even the men, because the men go to get their tailor suits there, they will make an entire like wardrobe for you for dollars. And it's like out of the finest silks and you pick the fabric. Um, so I'm going to go and have like a, an emperor's new wardrobe moment, you know, and that's like all kinds of different clothing. Um, I also really want to go to the Philippines. They just reopened up, um, the Boracay Island there, um, for cleaning after tourism. And there's a, there's a mermaid school there. I know that sounds strange. However, you can dress up like a mermaid and sit on the beaches and get pictures taken with this like beautiful anime tail. So I'm going to be doing that. All right. Well, <laughs> now we have to ask you because you, you said you sang the Beauty and the Beast when you're in France and now you want to be a mermaid. So what do you like more, Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast? Uh, I like, well, first I like them both. I had to rank them right for one or two, but I definitely like Belle better because I'm a big reader. I love books and I love that Belle saw like the inner beauty, right? Like Eric was kind of a jerk. He really just wanted the pretty girl. He didn't really care about the one without the voice, but Belle and, and the beast, you know, they were really a nice, a nice match. They, they loved each other for each other. And that was a go. beautiful message. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. So you're going to be a mermaid. You're going to Bali. <laughs> Um, you're going to get, you're going to get clothing made. And I will say, uh, I got my stuff done in Thailand, but every time I wear my suit, which is, I try not to wear it very often, obviously, uh, I'm in a hoodie right now, but usually it's, it's to weddings and everyone's always like, that suit is awesome. Where'd you get it? I'm like, well, you just have to fly to Thailand and get it made. It's only like <laughs> 75 to a hundred dollars. And, uh, you know, you could get a, we, we know you could get a flight there for that cheap too. So, um, yeah, for less than the cost of a suit, you could probably fly to Thailand, get a suit made and fly back potentially. And that would be something that I would do in a weekend. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I might take two months. Jen will do it in a weekend and she'll certainly know the best tailor, of course, uh, or the best seamstress or whoever. And she'll probably know exactly the price someone paid online that we can haggle down to. And we'll be, yeah, and we'll be good to go. I'll just make sure we have a few margaritas beforehand so that it's, it's more fun. Uh, we can't lose the suit, Travis. That's right. That's right. Jed, thank you so much for joining me today. I love that you helped dispel that myth that regular people can't travel. 
you know, and, and giving people a, a person to look at that's doing it. So when they say, hey, I can't travel because I have a real job, and people tell that to me all the time, like, oh, yeah, Trav, sounds good. You can travel because this is and this. And I could be like, nope, go watch your TED Talk. Nope, go to her website. She did it. As a lawyer, she did it. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. And remind people one more time, how can they get a hold of you? Where, where should they go and how can they reach out to you if they have questions or, or just want to connect with you? You can find me at jenonajetplane.com. All of my email contact information is on there. Uh, you can just reach out on the contact me and yeah, jenonajetplane.com. Awesome. Guys, we'll link everything up in the show notes, including that sweet spreadsheet that we uh, talked about earlier. I'll get that from Jen. We'll link all that up in the show notes. You can find it at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows for this episode, for all the other episodes. And Jen, thanks once again. This was an awesome episode. So much fun. I love your enthusiasm. And I love that even though your travel style is different from, from mine everyone and because everyone's is going to be different right we're, we're people are going to want to travel longer shorter spend more spend less you're sitting there saying like this is how i wanted to travel and so i made it happen and so i love that message so thank you so much thank you thank you everyone for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast and until next time happy free travels i'll show you paris The most dense state in the U.S. is New Jersey, with 1,218 people per square mile, and that's still almost 10 times less dense than Washington, D.C. That's a lot of people crammed into a little bit of swampland.